Who's been to Alaska? Raise your hand. Who's been there in January? Raise your hand. Yeah, I figured. Hey, I'm just so grateful to be back at Pine Lake. I think it's my third time with you folks since we started 19 years ago, the great adventure. But today, I just want to give thanks to this young man over here because he set up everything this weekend in Pastor Mark's absence. And so you get the 2019 t-shirt! Thank you. <laughs> thanks, JD. Thank you. I see some other t-shirts out there already, people wearing from past work teams that have come up and some of our donors. Um, it's so great to be with you. My wife, Debbie, is also with me. Honey, raise your hand. Over there next to Patty. Yeah, thanks, honey, for coming with me today. Pastor Mark totally bummed out on me today, and he's not here. But uh, you have to know that Mark and Patty, uh, they were our pastors when we were in Alaska before they left and got exiled to Sammamish. <laughs> And uh, Mark has just been a dear friend, a confidant, um, and we're so glad that he spent six years of his life on our board of trustees. He just finished his six-year term. He, he can't take Alaska out of the boy, I, I got to tell you that. So thank you for uh, letting him come and be a part of our ministry continually. And you guys have to know this, you have one of the best pastors in the entire covenant denomination right here at this church. I hope you know that, because it's true. Patty has trained him well, so... Uh, a little bit about me, in case you don't know who I am and where, we're, where I'm from. I grew up in Lake Stevens, Washington, just up the road here a little bit. Uh, graduated in 19 and um, went off to Seattle Pacific, and I graduated from Seattle Pacific. Any other alums? Alums? Okay, we got some alums. Sweet. And then I uh, spent a lot of time, actually, at Circle C Ranch. Used to be our covenant camp up in Leavenworth, Washington. I got... I got a couple of years under my belt of ministry there. I actually met the Lord at that camp in 1978. This is my 40th old plus anniversary of knowing Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And then uh, went off to California, unfortunately, for seven years and served uh, there. California is a wacky place to live, let me just tell you. But I found a wife there, and a wife was a good thing. I had our first kid and um, moved off to Arvada, Colorado as youth pastor there at the Covenant Church for five more years. And then the great adventure started, and you're going to hear about that a little bit toward the end of my message. So I am a local boy, Washington, born and bred, and I love being back home in the Northwest. Tonight we fly home to Alaska. Hopefully we'll be in bed by about 10.30 tonight if all the planes connect to get us home. Jesus loves the Eskimo. He really does. And today I want to take you to Jonah with me. I'm not going to be in your series that Pastor Mark has you going through. I'm going to kind of sidewind a little bit, but I invite you to open up your phones with me and turn to the story of Jonah. You can't miss it. It's right between Genesis and Revelation. And we're going to look at the first chapter of Jonah and then skirt around a little bit after that. But I really want you to dive in with me. And I know you've heard the story of Jonah before, but I'm going to ask you to listen to it today with some new ears as we hear again this amazing story about how God loved a people that didn't love him. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And here's the command. Go to the great city of what church? Nineveh. Nineveh. Yep. And preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed down for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa there where he bound, found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from who? The Lord. Flee from God. His whole purpose was, I am out of here. The Lord sent a great wind. 
It came to the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threw up, and all the sailors were afraid. I would be too. And each cried out to his own God. Is that a big G or a small G? It's a small G, right? Because they're crying out to all these other gods that are out there, not God, not, not Jehovah God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone down below deck where he laid down and fell into a deep sleep. And the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God, small g. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. And the sailors said to each other, hey, let's cast lots. Let's find out who is responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots and the lot fell on who, church? Jonah. Jonah. Never pick the short stick. And they asked him, so, tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country and from what people are you? And I can almost see Jonah stand very erect and with pride and say these words, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, capital L, the God, capital G of heaven who made the sea and the land. And this terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he already told them so. And the sea was getting rougher and rougher. And so they said to him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Listen to Jonah. He says, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. For I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Of course, instead the men did their best to row back to land. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, these are the sailors, please, Lord, capital L or small L? Capital L. Ah, they're getting it now, aren't they? Please, Lord, Jehovah, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. And they took Jonah and they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. And at this, the men greatly feared the Lord, capital L, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. And now this famous verse 17 we learned in Sunday school with flannel graph. Now the Lord provided a huge halibut to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Let's stop there for a moment. God loved Nineveh. And Jonah, the prophet appointed by God, he's told to go. We know the story. Why would you want to go? Nineveh today is modern-day Iraq. Those folks are the arch enemies of the people Israel. In fact, if you read through Nahum, you'll find out that the Assyrians, those people, they hated Israelites. They tortured them. They mutilated them. They killed them. So why would Jonah want to go and tell these people who are the arch enemy of his country that God loves them? It'd almost be like us going and finding Osama bin Laden years ago when he was still alive and walking up to him and being a big hug and saying, I love you, man. It almost would be the same. How hard would that have been? And so Jonah does, obviously, what most of us would do. He heads in the opposite direction. But verse 17 tells us what happens to bad prophets when they ignore God and he gets swallowed up by that huge fish. God pursues prophets. My first point, he has been since the beginning of time. He uses prophets to tell his people things, and people need to listen or something could happen. Because we see, secondly, that God pursues his purposes. Back to chapter 1 and verse 3. Jonah did not want to go. 
But nobody can thwart God's purposes, right? If God has a plan to fulfill or a project to finish, he just gets it done. I don't remember a time of God ever saying, you know what? I like your idea better. Let's have it your way. You win. I lose. We always see that God finishes what he begins. Because if God breathes his will into being, there is no pope, there is no king, there is no president that can stop God from pursuing his purposes in our lives, even if we try to run away. If he's after us, he's going to get us for our best because he loves us. We all know that it's not he who sits in the great white throne. I'm sorry, the great white house that's calling the shots, but he who sits in the great white throne that's calling the shots, right? God Jehovah is calling the shots. God always wins. And so chapter 2 rolls around. I won't read all of it for you, but chapter 2 is basically a prayer. What would you do if you were stuck inside the belly of a halibut for three days and three nights? I'd pray. And this is basically all of chapter 2. Man, am I an idiot. What was I thinking? Man, does it stink in here? Oh, this is awful. God, I'll do whatever. Just get me out of this fish. And that famous chapter 2, look down at verse 10 with me that we love. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. Can you believe that the Bible uses the word vomit? Never thought about that? I love the NIV. He uses the word vomit. But King James uses the word spewed. And he spewed him. High schoolers would say, he puked him out, man. Wycliffe missionary I was with down in Turlock said to me, Keith, I like the word barf. And so what do you mean like the word barf? He said, I wrote you the story of Jonah using the word barf. I said, give it to me. He said, okay, first the boat, then the belly, then the barf, then the beach. And God said to Jonah, preach, preach, preach. So there you have it. The story of Jonah using barf. So he's barfed out on this beach. And then chapter 3 rolls around. Come with me to chapter 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah now a second time. Isn't it great that our God is a God of second chances? And for Jonah, he got a second chance. In fact, the same words in verse 2 that he used back in chapter 1 are used again here. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. In verse 3, ah, Jonah this time obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. And that awesome verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Even the king of Nineveh bowed down before God that day, and they believed in who Yahweh was for them. God always wins. And you and I, we try to escape God's purposes, I know, but you know what? No one ever has. Not even Jesus when he said, let this cup pass from him. So why is it, friends, you and I, brothers and sisters, Lord, why is it that when you and I are getting called and God is after us and pursuing us that we choose to run in the opposite direction? You and I, we can try to defy God's purposes for our lives. It doesn't work. It hasn't. I almost missed the greatest adventure of our lives when God was pursuing us. Because God doesn't just pursue prophets and his purposes, but then he pursues people, common people like you and like me. 
my third P. And Deb and I were serving in, I mentioned Arvada, Colorado, wonderful church, um, a large congregation. I was a youth pastor there. Had a wonderful group of students. Um, things were just going so well. And when you get too comfortable, God sometimes reaches out. And so he reached out to me and we got this invitation. Hey, Keith, what do you think about planning a Bible college for the covenant church that doesn't exist? Where? Ecuador. Lauren, did you go to Ecuador, CBC? Your sister did. And I'm going, this is great. I'd love to go to Ecuador. That'd be great because I speak Spanish fluently. Debbie speaks Spanish fluently. I was a covenant missionary in Mexico back in the 80s. Well, I, fluently, except the one time I told the congregation in Mexico by accident that I was pregnant in Spanish. Now, a little bit embarrassing. Perezada. <laughs> So that's great, man. You know the sun goes up and down the same time every day in Quito, Ecuador? Did you know that it's 78 degrees almost every single day in Quito, Ecuador? Debbie could have house help for eight bucks a day in Quito, Ecuador. We're going south, baby. And that door closed. Actually, my seminary roommate was offered the opportunity. So that was great, though, because I got to stay in Arvada, Colorado with my three-bedroom home, my two Toyotas paid off in the garage. My, my, I actually had a hot tub in the backyard and a three-legged dog named Lucky. <laughs> we had everything and very comfortable. Another knock. Hey, Keith, would you consider speaking at our little Bible camp in Unalakleet, Alaska, where the covenant began its ministry in 1887? And I went up to that Bible. Anybody been to Unalakleet, by the way? Usually most congregations. Okay. I got there and I just fell in love with those 83 high school kids from Eskimo villages all around. And during that time, Debbie and I were just wondering, what does God have for us? We knew he was calling us somewhere. We just didn't know where. And two days into the camp, our pastor of the Covenant Church in Unalakleet comes up to me and says, Keith, I think God's calling you to Alaska. I said, What? My wife's from California. We're going to Ecuador. I lived in Mexico. This doesn't make sense. I said, where do you, where do you get off saying that? And he said, sometimes God just tells me things I need to tell people. What do you want to call it? Where to discern? I, just, I think God is calling you to Alaska. I just want to tell you that. Whoa. Now, that's never happened before. A couple of days later, we're on, a, we're on a hike with all the high school kids running around the, the hills there looking for muskox. Muskox is a weird-looking animal. The platypus and the muskox, two funny things that God made. And out we're looking, and the youth pastor from Hooper Bay Covenant Church, Marcus Reese, taps me on the shoulder. He says, Keith, he said, uh, I just got to tell you about a dream I had last night. So what's the dream? He said, you and I were in Anchorage at McDonald's. We're having lunch, and we're talking about you being involved in a Bible college in Alaska. Whoa. Did you see any palm trees in your dream? Hawaii Christian College. <laughs> And I took that to heart. But man, that's never happened before. And then on Friday, the last day of the camp, Debbie flew up from Colorado. We were going to do a vacation in Alaska following my speaking engagement. And uh, we had dinner with this wonderful family. Their three little kids. Her husband was actually one of our pilots, covenant pilots out flying around. I, I didn't get a chance to meet Don. But uh, Kathy and the kids had a wonderful time with them. Told Debbie what was going on, that God has spoke twice. I said, three is a good number, though. <laughs> we might be moving to Alaska. <laughs> And the next week, I got a phone call that sealed the number three. It wasn't the phone call I expected, though. Some of you will know Paul Wilson. He's a good friend of Pastor Mark. He's the superintendent of our covenant churches in California. 
He was at that time the superintendent of our covenant churches in Alaska. And he said, Keith, I got bad news. And I said, what? He said, Don Irvin's plane just went down. He just dropped off a kid at Bible camp. And Jeff Seemers, who today is our executive vice president, started the college with us, who dropped them off. The plane went up, engine cut out. He went down and was killed. I had just been with Don's wife. There were three little kids. She was actually pregnant with Jessica, their fourth child, and Don didn't know that when the Lord took him home. And we wept over that loss. And again, the crazy thing is we'd never met Don, but we wanted to be in Alaska. We wanted to be with these folks, these friends that were mourning as our first ever aviation disaster in uh, 60 years of flying all around Bush, Alaska in the Covenant. It's pretty amazing, actually. And then I went to Chick 2000. If you guys are familiar with Covenant High in Christ, a triennial youth camp. Yeah, yeah. I was there, and, and, and they said, would you come and, and be a part of the Alaska group? And I said, sure. I had just been at Bible camp the month before. We went to Chick, hung out with all those kids. My heart just overwhelmed with the call to Alaska. But yet nobody had asked me to come to Alaska. But after Chick, I got home, and Paul Wilson, again, the superintendent, called me up and said, hey, Keith, I know Equa didn't work out. I know you had a great time at Chick at Bible camp. Would you consider planting Alaska Christian College? Now, I can be like Jonah and head south and warm as fast as I could. By the way, on my tombstone, it's going to say, the lower the latitude, the better was his attitude. (laughs) (laughs) To go south for me was my desire. It was my purpose. But when God calls, we all have a choice to make. And at that point, I said, we have to follow through with this. So they invited me to come up and interview. But a couple days before, they called, before the interview, they called and they said, Keith, we just really can't do this thing. We just decided there's no students that want to go to the college that we know of. Um, there's no staff that want to work with you. Well, I'm used to that. <laughs> we got no buildings you know, to lease, rent, borrow, beg, or steal. And we got no money to start the school. And I said, so basically you want me to be the president of nothing? <laughs> and they said, yeah, but it's not going to happen. Deb and I prayed about that. And I remember saying, what if we're missionaries? What if we raised our own support as a family? What if we went up and did our um, opportunity to uh, do the mission model? And that just warmed our hearts. And, and I said, let's try that maybe. And so actually I told one of my high school guys, a senior who was graduating that year, I've been discipling Tyler, and I told him what was going on, and he said, man, I'd love to be a part of that. If you'll quit being my youth pastor and go and become the president of ACC, out of my college fund, I want to give you $2,000. Man, they've been discipling me. I told him, he said, to keep it quiet, but I'm going to Alaska today to interview, and he said, man, I got 5,000 bucks on you. And then I'm on the airport, my cell phone rings, it's his mother-in-law, it's like, man, I heard you're going to Alaska. No one's supposed to know this. I got 5,000 bucks on it. So I hadn't even gotten on a plane yet to go to meet people I hadn't met before, to go to become the opportunity to become the president of nothing, and there's already $12,000 in the bank for our support. What do you do with that? You have a choice to run away from God or follow him. And so we did go, we were called to, uh, to serve as the president of nothing, we began this most amazing adventure called Alaska Christian College. And then my last P has to go with every opportunity that you have if you think God is calling you to something ministry, mission-wise, is that God does provide when he calls. 
And over and over and over again, I've seen his provision in, in mighty ways. And I have a few minutes left. I'm going to tell you two stories. I can't make this stuff up. There's a piece of land that's adjacent to our campus. It's four and a half acres. For years, we've wanted to build a gymnasium on that piece of land. There's only one little small problem. We didn't own it. And so we tried to find out who the owner was. The borough, the county had no idea who owned it. We were struggling to find out. We went online. We couldn't find out. Sent letters, bounced back, bad address. We had no way to find out who owned this piece of land. And one of our volunteers, Al Finnefrock, was flying back through Minneapolis on the way back to Alaska, was in the bathroom at the Minneapolis-St. Paul International Airport and struck up a conversation with a guy in the bathroom. Now, you ladies need to hear me this. Hear this from me. Guys, when we go into a bathroom, we are solo focused. (laughs) We have one job to do. We're going to get it done. We're going to wash our hands without looking, and we're going to walk out the door. That's the man's code. Right, man? (laughs) Al doesn't know the man's code. And he's chatting it up with this guy. Hey, where are you headed? Oh, I'm heading to Alaska. Al says, I'm heading to Alaska too. And the guy said, oh, where do you live? And Al said, well, he has to actually asked the guy, where do you live? The guy said, he lived in Anchorage. And Al said, oh, I live down in Soldotna. And the man looks at him and says this, oh, I own a piece of land in Soldotna, Alaska. The owner of the land is standing in the bathroom and becomes a part of our story known as the urinal miracle. (laughs) I can't make this up. Not only does he own the piece of land, but he comes down with his wife. I made him a low ball offer, four and a half acres. He hit me high, we met in the middle, $52,000. Four and a half wooded acres adjacent to our property. That's the great news. Problem is, I didn't have any what to buy it. I had no money to pay for it. I made an offer, shook his hand, didn't have any money to pay for it. One of the men that serves on one of our boards heard about it. He says, I'll hold it. Someday you're ready to build the gym. We'll play. Let's make a deal. We'll make a deal. And last year ago, April, I met with that man on our campus, and I said the board's voted. Mark Meredith as well raised his hand to build a new gym, and we need that land. Um, so he, he said, I understand. Write me a check. I wrote him a check that day for $27. The recording fee. He donated the whole $52,000 piece of land to us. God is good. Met a man last December in Vancouver, Washington. I shared with him that story. He said, what is it going to take to build the gym? I told him what it's going to take. He said, do you do matches? And I said, yes. He said, if you can find in the next three months a million bucks, I'll match it. And the Lord provided that for us. So we're on our way to build this gymnasium. Amazing story. But I close with the final If God is after you, he provides. There's a young lady I want to tell you about as I wrap it up. Because it's not about buildings and land. It's great, but Jesus loves the Eskimo. And Ray comes to us from Bethel, Alaska. Her family's actually from Unalakleet, where it all began in 1887. Both families, parents, alcoholics. Both parents struggling with drugs. Pretty horrific situation. Very common for our students coming from rural Alaska. And she comes up to ACC and begins to tell us a little bit of her story. You see, her parents got divorced. She was one of five children. She had to be the one to take care of the kids, to get them off to school because dad is too drunk. When she came to ACC, she had been suicidal because as a child, somebody kept coming into her house and hurt her. And when she was 15... 
She did what a lot of our students will attempt to do, and that was to end her life. But God took care of that and preserved her through that situation, through a miracle of her own. Came to ACC, struggling, failing her classes. She had a plan again to take her life by Thanksgiving in her freshman year. She went to see my wife, Debbie, who's the executive director of New Hope Counseling Center. It's a ministry of Alaska Christian College on our campus. It sees about 3,000 client hours a year. Amazing ministry, free to our students. Deb gets her the help that she needs up in Anchorage. She comes back to my office after being in the hospital. Walks in the door of my office and says, I found out that Jesus loves me when I was up in Anchorage. God loves me, 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 she said. I said, Ray, yes. God loves you. We've been telling her that for the months that she had been there, but she didn't believe it until that experience, and God got a hold of her life. She finished up the rest of that year. She did an awesome job academically. Came back our second year. We're a two-year AA degree granting, accredited college, but she had a dream, and her dream came true. Debbie and I got to fly back east to watch her graduate from her four-year university. That young lady today is the only Alaska female native in the history of the United States of America to ever graduate from the United States Naval Academy at Annapolis. Three point seven in engineering. I can't even spell engineering. <laughs> Married she and her husband Tomas serving our country. Is God after you today? Is he pursuing you for some amazing, crazy mission, ministry right here in Sammamish or around our state or some world place? I preach this message many times. And each time I have the opportunity to wait at the end of the service, and Debbie and I will be here like those other times to pray with anybody and kneel here at the altar. And if God's doing something in your life, I don't manipulate anything. The Holy Spirit does all the work. If he's coming and speaking to you right now, I'm going to invite you to surrender all. And, and come up and let us pray for you. Tony Campolo says we sing this song we're going to close with, I Surrender All. A lot of times we sing it, I surrender all, but we're really singing, I surrender one-tenth. I surrender one-tenth. Jesus, if he's after you, surrender your all to him.